It is 10 o'clock, and so we're going to get started with the uh, L. Nelson Bell Sunday School class. It's good to see you here, and I'm delighted to be proved wrong. I told Carolyn that there wouldn't be more than 20 possible. So uh, you are the brave ones in spite of the cold, and it's great to see you here. Uh, and as I said last week, we've got a reason to look forward to coming here. We're going to make merry before the Lord. We've got something to celebrate in what Christ has done for us, regardless of the weather or whatever else is going on in the world around us. And today we're going to follow up on this making merry before the Lord to look at something much more personal and inside of David as we get to chapter 7. We're going to look particularly at verses 18 through 21. I'm going to be doing a summary of the whole chapter, and then we're going to focus on these particular verses and see what there is for us to learn from this description that we're given in Scripture. So before we do that, let's come to the Lord and ask for His guidance and His help in understanding this for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can gather and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have something to celebrate that the world does not know and cannot understand, that it calls foolish and childish, and yet we know how true it is that Christ is alive and that your spirit is within us because of his life, death, and resurrection and ascension. So help us now, Lord, as we turn to your word to have a new understanding of familiar passages and to result in praising you and giving you thanks for what you have done in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I've entitled this, See What God Has Done. And I'm going to read just verses 18 through 21. This is in the midst of David wanting to build a place to house the ark. Remember, he has now gotten the ark successfully into Jerusalem, and he wants to build a suitable building to house it. And we'll get into that in the summary, but I want to look, this is really the heart of the chapter, what I'm going to read, 18 through 21. What chapter? It's uh, chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, looking at verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Now let me put this in context. Samuel's decided he wants to build a place to house the ark. He consults with his prophet, Nathan, should I do this? Nathan apparently doesn't even check with the Lord. He just says, yes, go ahead, do what your heart wants. That night, in a dream, in a vision, the Lord speaks to Nathan and tells him 
Tell David he is not the one to build this house for the ark. That his son will do it, but he will not because he is a man with blood on his hands, David. And then God goes on to tell Nathan what Nathan will now repeat to David, saying, look what I have done for you. I met you as a young man taking care of the sheep. And I brought all of this about in your life. And he lists a very nice summary of David's life up to this point. And in that summary, we can see David's intention. Remember, we talked about good intentions, how sometimes that's not always best. David's intentions and God's response. No, you can't do this. And then there is that review of David's life. And not only a review of his life, but God tells Nathan, who then tells David, God has great things ahead after you are gone. Those who follow after you will be honored by God. And I have plans not only for Israel, but for all mankind. This is summed up in those first verses of chapter 7. God has blessed David and his life has meaning. If ever anyone wanted reassurance that their life has meaning, they would get a vision or report from a prophet like this from God Almighty. And throughout this chapter, David uses this phrase, O Lord God, O Lord God, O Lord God, over and over and over again, acknowledging that he, David, is not the one in control. That the creator God, the savior God, the redeeming God is the one who is in control. And so in verses 18 through 21, David is looking back on his life with God. Given what Nathan had told him, it causes David to reflect back on what has really happened in his life since he knew this God of Israel. And we are told in this first verse, verse 18, David is humble and he sits before the Lord. Now, we might expect him to kneel, but in this case, he sits because he's got some things to say to God. It's a conversation. It's not just an appeal or a prayer but he humbles himself before God. He sits down. He doesn't just demand an audience. And at that time, he acknowledges he does not deserve the honor or the predictions that God has given to him, the honor or the promise. And in this, as David states, we can see God's heart. Now, people say, well, how do you know about God? Well, he's revealed himself. So how's he revealed himself? Through his prophets and through his own son, Jesus Christ. But we know God's heart because he says, this is what I want for you, David. You are going to have real greatness because you have honored me. You have remained faithful to me. Now, he doesn't say that he's been perfect. He doesn't say that he's kept everything right. And as we continue to look at the life of David, we'll know that he does a lot of things worse than pretending to be a madman or deceiving the Philistines and slaughtering a bunch of people. David knows he is not worthy. But we see God's heart and his greatness for those who trust in him. That's who God is. He has greatness in store for those who trust in him. 
In that passage, we also see David's heart. And that as he hears this, he is humbled by it. And he confesses, I am not worthy. Lord, I don't deserve any of this that you have predicted for my future. And I certainly don't deserve your blessings. Now, I know that I have failed in many ways. I am a sinful man. You know me, God. You know my heart, and though I want to honor you, I am a sinful person. We see David's heart. We see God's heart. And then there's also a little phrase in here that is very curious. It's in verse 19. David is speaking to God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, not just his immediate descendant, and this is instruction for mankind. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but I really believe that what David understands here is that the Messiah will come from his line, the Savior that was promised back in the Garden of Eden that would crush Satan's head and bring deliverance to God's people. David is part of that line, and there will be a line following him that will produce the Messiah, and then the whole world will know because of David's Faithfulness. I think that's what that one little phrase is telling us. Salvation is through the Jewish people. There were many individuals that had inter, uh, interacted with God, had heard him speak, had gotten prophecies for him, but Abraham alone was called out by God, we know, and was told, I will make a great people out of you. And through the patriarchs, down to Moses, down to David, down to Jesus Christ, we see how that is fulfilled. From the very beginning, God is doing something great in the world, and he chose the Jewish people to bring that about. Now, the worst enemies that Jesus Christ had were not the Romans. They were the Jews, the Pharisees. And the largest number of early believers were the Jews themselves, Messianic Jews, Jews who believed that Jesus was their Lord and Savior. And then the greatest persecution that first came to the church was from the Jewish nation because they felt those that believed Jesus was a son of God were heretics as Saul, whom we now know as Paul, once believed himself. This is instruction for all of mankind what God is telling David. Now, given that background, like David, you and I, do not deserve what God has given us. We really don't. And if you think you do, we need to have a chat. Just like David, our only response can be, Lord, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. You have brought me to a place I never thought I would be in my life. And I humble myself to you, and I am grateful for it. There are just two passages in the New Testament I want to read. Both are very familiar to you, but think about them now in this context of what David has said to God. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
not just the Jewish people, the world would be saved through him, you and me. And then in Romans, as we discussed in the past year or so, looking particularly in chapter 5, the unworthiness is made even clearer. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us, the heart of God. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verses 15 through 17. But the free gift, free, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one, man, that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's greatness, folks. In case you're wondering, well, how's God made me great? How's God made everyone great? Not in the world's eyes of greatness, but in God's eyes because we have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who not only forgives sins, but gives us joy and hope and love and a promise of eternal life. That is greatness. And that is what God was promising to David in those few verses in 2 Samuel chapter 7. What I want to encourage you to do this morning is to take a minute and just reflect back on your life. You can do this very quickly in your mind to your earliest memories as a child, to your family, to your education, to your marriage or your singleness, to what God has done to you, what God has done for you. We often forget we often forget what we were like before Christ came into our hearts. And even if we do remember what life has been like with Christ in our hearts, we tend to forget that. It's all the heart of God that is shown here in this passage, explained in detail in the New Testament, that God has done great things in your life and in mine. He has spared us to be here today. He has healed us to be the individual we are now, healed us physically as well as emotionally and spiritually. It was not our doing. It was not our work. It was the work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and we were chosen by him to be his sons and daughters. That is greatness, and it should never be forgotten. His promise to us is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. We are of the house of David because we have faith in Jesus. We talked about that in Romans. 
how we've been grafted in, though we were not part of that original ethnic or racial group, through faith in Christ, we've been grafted in. We are the people of God. That's what God has done for us. See how far Christ has brought us today. Be humbled and amazed that we are who we are and we are where we are by God's grace and his grace alone to each one of us. He has brought you and me from being at war with God to having peace with God. We no longer shake our fist at God. We do not complain about what God has done. We know him as a loving father and we accept what he ordains. We trust him. He has changed us from being people who are arrogant and who have a sense of privilege to being humble and dependent upon him. We have learned it is not by our strength or our intellect or our social skills that we have salvation, that we are made right with God. It is only by his grace that we are completed to be the men and the women he wants us to be, and that brings humility. And none of us should be ashamed to say, I am very dependent upon God. If you do not know Christ, you're going to say, I've got a crutch. That's fine. If you want to say that, you can look at it that way. I know it is no crutch. It is a source of my life. He is the vine and I'm the branch. I have nothing without him. And I learned to depend upon him and to give him all the honor because he is the one in charge. God has taken you and me from insecurity to an acceptance and a love for God. We obey him not out of fear, but because we love him, because he first loved us. There is no fear in a life that's dependent upon Christ. And when it comes up, we have a quick way to dissolve it. I will not be afraid. I trust in Jesus Christ. Whatever may happen, and if I lose my life, which apparently is the worst thing people think can happen, I immediately go into his presence. I gain. So indeed, these are things that have happened within us because we encountered Jesus Christ, or rather, he encountered us. And we have received him into our lives. We have gone from being prone to despair to being full of hope. Not always understanding, not always comprehending, but no need to ever despair. Always the hope of what God will do for us. And that's what makes us different from the world. As I debated on what else was really involved in this, I realized at this point, seeing what God has done within each of our lives, there are only two reasons for not being grateful to God right now. There are only two reasons. The first one is you've never met the true God through faith in Jesus Christ. I think I know this class pretty well, and I don't think there's anybody in here who has forgotten that. But there may be somebody else you know who may have, 
And it's time to remind them of what Christ has done for us, not in our own strength, but in his grace and his mercy. That's the first thing. We don't know God in his love, his forgiveness. Or number two, we have forgotten what God has done for us. You and I can get so caught up in the events of the world, in our own personal lives, in the challenges that are within our families, that are within our community, that we forget what God has done for us. We begin to give in to fear. We begin to give in to doubt. We're tempted even at times to despair, and we have forgotten. If God has done all of this in our lives, for many of us over 50, 60, 70 years of knowing him and walking with him, he's got it. It's going to be all right. He's in control. Now, both of these can be changed. A person can come to know Christ truly and genuinely in their heart and give themselves totally to him, and we can stop forgetting what he's already done in our lives and trust in him for what lies ahead. It can be changed. Never, never forget what God has done for you. And never forget there is much more ahead that he has promised he will do in this life and in the life after this one. Now, there were a lot of hymns that could go with this. And all of a sudden it hit me, why not let the words of David himself describe this? It's the 23rd Psalm, but it's set in a little bit different meter and language for the Psalter. The king of love, my shepherd is. The king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth, and where the verdant pastures grow with food celestial feedeth. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulders gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark veil I fear no ill, with thee, dear Lord, beside me, thy rod and staff, my comfort still, thy cross before to guide me. Thou spreadst a table in my sight, thine unction grace bestoweth, and oh, what transport of delight from thy pure chalice floweth. And so, through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever. Don't ever forget what God has done for you and give him the praise. Let's pray. Lord, every one of us in here at one time had thought we had a lot to offer you. 
only to discover by your grace we had nothing to offer you, and you had everything to offer us. Thank you, Lord God, for your kindness, for your promises, for your love. Thank you that we do not have any effort involved in salvation other than trusting in you. You have done all the work. You have provided the perfect sacrifice. You have proven that Jesus Christ is indeed God and that you have chosen us to follow him. Lord, we praise you and thank you for who we are today. We know we're not perfect. We know we never will be until we are perfected in heaven. But Lord, we are so grateful as we look back at what you have done. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your tender mercies, your patient forgiveness, your constant strength, and your everlasting love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you. Help us never to forget what you've done in our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus Christ. Amen.